Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Sutofil Corner llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud marca el Arsenal marca Olivier Giroud gol de los Gunners This is Arscast Extra Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog Good morning to you, goodly morning indeed I should say yeah, good morning. How are you doing? I'm uh, all right. I'm okay. You're in a, a noisy location this morning. If people can just take in this background home, let's give them a moment. There. It's like, a, I don't know what it is. It's like I'm working on an alien spaceship. Yeah. And yeah. it's just constantly reverberating behind me. Uh, but Prime Suspect is a fridge, but if that is coming from the fridge, then the fridge better take off or do something interesting soon. Maybe there are, it's like a cryogenic fridge, deep deep freeze bodies in the freezer you know well this isn't my house so you are freaking me out i mean anything could happen to be honest i, I i'm looking at this fridge now expecting all sorts maybe it's a transformer just waiting <laughs> it's it's lurking and then when i turn my back arms and legs will unfurl from its doors yeah start a war with me and some okay. aliens i haven't seen transformers but i imagine that's what happens uh yeah i i think i saw the first one it wasn't yeah. very good it was just Lots of robots going around, going smash, and that's kind of it. But what wasn't good about it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good uh, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how's your weekend been? It, it's been okay, but quiet, obviously, because I've, I've been sick this week. Yes, so. ever so sick. Yeah, but people who listen to the Arsecast on Friday and now listen to this Arsecast Extra will hear the big difference in my voice, so I am I'm definitely on the mend. And um, what's interesting is over the, the last couple of days, I've felt like eating food again, which is nice because I spend the best part of five or six days just going at the idea of any kind of food. Um, so I had an Indian takeaway on Saturday night. It was, it was delicious. You must be feeling quite a lot better to take that on. That's Absolutely. Not sort of, I, I said, know. fuck it, I'll go all in. All That's in. It. You know, if this, it's either going to cure me or kill me. And uh, it seems to have... Well, I'm here. I'm here. You're still here, which is impressive. And, and the Indian takeaway sort of d didn't push you over the edge. So congratulations. Thanks very much. Thanks uh, very much. Are you, are you having that feeling where you're so much more appreciative of your health having been a bit ill? <laughs> yeah, because it's been the, the second time in a couple of weeks, actually. So uh, I was, uh, over the course of the week, getting very tired of not feeling well. And then now I feel I'm in this strange place where I feel I should do everything to make myself feel as well as I can all the time. 
Okay. Does that make any sense? So you think about, well, will I have, you know, go out and have four beers tonight? No, I couldn't do that. That might make me feel not well, not, like not ill, but not as well as I could be. I should go out and uh, I should do exercise and I should release endorphins and I should eat more healthily. I should do all these kind of things where I, I feel like I need to embrace my wellness. Um, I'm sure that will all go by the wayside in, in a couple of weeks or, or a few days even. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, you do, you do miss feeling just well, don't you? Yeah, you do. But, you know, it makes you more appreciative for the finer things, like not, I don't know, constantly being sick or whatever it might be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Maybe we need that touch of perspective in our lives. Exactly. It's yin and yang, guys. It is, it is. So, look, you got to your uh, first game of the season. Mm. Yeah, how was that? Exciting. I saw your very excited-looking <laughs> Instagram picture from outside the ground. I don't know how anybody could have could have uh, mistaken what you were thinking in that picture. It certainly didn't look like uh, feigned indifference. It was, it was just pure excitement. There you go. I mean, genuine joy emanating from me. <laughs> uh, no, I was very excited, actually. As I think... Quite a lot of people were, you know, heading into the ground and um, t- chatting to a couple of fans, things like that. I-, I think there was quite a lot of buzz going into the game because, you know, we had our, we had, especially once the starting lineups came out, but we, because we had our two new signings in the starting 11. Yeah. Um, and if you can't get excited about that, then, you know, I don't know what you can get excited about really. So it was, uh, there was robots. A good robots, transformers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fridges. Robot fridges. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I was I was very very excited to be there. What is that? Is that only the second home game? It is, isn't it? It is, yeah. Because uh, there was the Liverpool one. Then obviously we were away to Leicester Le- and Watford. Leicester and Watford, indeed. Yeah, Leicester and Watford. All so, the glamorous locations. Yes, indeed. Getting them out of the way, nice and early. Um, so, uh, what, what did you what did you make of? Let's start with the two new signings. Uh, Lucas Perez got the nod up front, which I was a little bit surprised by. I was too, yeah. A little bit, to be perfectly honest. Like, I was well, happy to see it, uh, but a little bit surprised by it. Um, uh, did you think he'd go for Giroud? I did, yeah, yeah. I knew. I sort of figured he had an eye on uh, tomorrow night's Champions League game. Obviously, I think that played a part in his team selection and obviously the international duty as well, that the players were coming back in, in various stages. But... I thought he would probably go with, with Giroud. I think he'll go with Giroud tomorrow night, but uh, I thought he'd go with Giroud um, mm. on Saturday as well. So, uh, look, he gave, him, he gave him a run out, and I guess maybe he looked at the, the game, looked at the opposition, the fact we're at home, um, and thought, okay, well, look, I can give him a good hour here to, to have a look and see what the Premier League is like to settle in and, and what have you. But uh, I won't say the game passed him by, but I think he found it a bit difficult, and that was... Uh, I guess as much to do with our own performance as, as his individual performance. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, uh, you know, he, he wasn't helped by a, a team display that wasn't the most cohesive. I mean, what, what I thought was interesting about the starting eleven generally is that uh, in, if you look at the last game against Watford, for me, it was kind of built on, the victory was built on three good partnerships and they were between Koscielny and Holding at the back, Shaka and Cazorlo midfield and then Urzo and Alexis in attack. Mm. And actually in this match, we broke up each of those pairings. Now for some good reasons, uh, but it, there wasn't any continuity or, or, you know, from the previous game. And I felt like that showed in our play. Add in the fact that there's been an international break. The players have been all away. You know, there's never that same cohesiveness when we cut the first game after an international break. So that left led to quite a, 
a disjointed team display. And as the centre forward, you're the person looking to profit the most from from what the rest of the team does. So it's no surprise really that he he didn't enjoy a huge amount of opportunities to to show what he can do. I think he had one blocked shot when he played that sort of you know one two with Ozil. Yeah. Aside from that, I don't think he had uh, an attempt on goal in the game. No, no. And again, you know, it was down to to the overall team performance. I think um, we really did struggle to to create um, until maybe the last twenty twenty five minutes when Alexis came on and things looked a bit different when when he came on. I mean, I would have liked to have seen him um, w- with Alexis, obviously, and with, uh, with Mesut Ozil. Um, mm. but yeah, look, the manager says he's going to need some time. And I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty reasonable. I don't think the way that Southampton played in the second half, they sat very deep, like almost immediately, uh, when the second half began, they, they sat very deep and looked to hit us on the counterattack because they brought Shane Long on, who is, as we know, really, really annoying. Um, <laughs> And they were looking to use his powers of being really, really annoying uh, to uh, to disturb us. So I, again, as we got on top, the the opportunity for him to show the qualities that he has weren't really there because there wasn't an awful lot of space for him to use. And I think that's that's uh, that's where we'll see the best of him. I think is when we can get him in behind defenses, and when we do have somebody pulling strings from perhaps a little deeper in the midfield. So you're looking at a Granite Xhaka uh, being able to uh, pass those balls over the top towards him or towards Walcott, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah. yeah, I think Xhaka is a player who benefit him, and I think you're right. I think Alexis is another who would. I mean, one thing you notice about uh, Lucas is that he likes to press quite high. He's, he's happy to do that, to chase defenders down. Alexis loves doing that as well. I think them doing that in tandem uh, could be very effective, mm. uh, as we've seen with Alexis combining with Danny Welbeck a couple of times in the past. Another thing I'd say about Lucas is that um, I was impressed in some respects. He, he was probably a bit stronger, a bit more physical than I was expecting him to be, even though Arsene Wenger intimated he was slightly surprised by the the physicality of the the English game. Uh, and also, in, in his defence, according to the manager, he's still a bit short of fitness. Only one game played for Deportivo prior to the move. So yeah. it might take a bit of time to get up to speed. I think that was actually a really good point. You know, he only played one game for Deportivo, then wasn't playing because they knew uh, he was going to move. Uh, Mustafi as well has only just come back. Uh, after an injury and played, what, 45 minutes mm-hmm. for Valencia. So we're looking at two new guys settling into a new club, new teammates, new country, um, as difficult and easy as that is in, in certain respects. But we're also looking at two guys who are probably a little bit behind in terms of their match fitness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's right to give them a bit more... Uh, a bit of leeway, certainly, uh, and give them more playing time, and then we can make uh, better judgments on on how they're doing and how they're how they're settling in. Uh, Mustafi alongside Koscielny, um I thought he did pretty well, to be to be perfectly honest. There were a couple of moments where I thought he was maybe trying to force it a little bit with his passing in the first half that didn't quite work out. Um, but I think in general he looked pretty okay. Uh, bearing in mind, of course, that there were some some very good opportunities for Southampton in that second half. Yeah, I thought he did all right. I thought uh, I thought like Lucas, he looked a little bit nervy in some respects. Some of his passing, particularly in the first half, uh, was a little bit shonky. But you know, shonky. He, yeah, is that a word? I if don't it, know. I'm going to have it. it shonky. Even if it isn't. What, what, yeah, what's the what's the definition of shonky? Let's let's, let's um, tease I this think one it's out. Light <laughs> shonky. 
I think it's like, uh, well, I think it could also be a verb, like, oh, I've shunked it. Oh, to shunk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of shunk, you know, shunky. In my head, it's like you're hitting something and it doesn't go quite straight. It sort of skews off to the side. Shanked, I think, is probably the actual word. Yeah. Uh, but shonky imply has a sort of clumsier sound to it. It does, it? yeah. There's a kind of onomatopoeia going on. Yeah. That, um, that, that pass was a bit shonky there, yeah. So yeah, it sort yeah. of clubs it a bit over to the right and yeah. out for a throw. That's exactly what I'm picturing in my head. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, which is maybe because that's what Mustafi did, I think, on one occasion. But he, uh, yeah, I mean, look, he's clearly very capable. He was keen to bring the ball out of the defence, wasn't he? And try and sort mm. of instigate things from the back. He, he's obviously got that to his game. I think a couple of times he probably overcomplicated it and probably didn't have quite enough support from the central midfield. Uh, but he was fine. And I think I think probably unlike Lucas, he'll probably stay in the side for Tuesday. And hopefully this 90 minutes will uh, have done him some good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, reasonable debuts. Nothing groundbreaking, but uh, far too early to make any any real judgments on mm. them. Uh, but interesting to see how they're how they're going to fit into the side. What, I mean, what did you make of the team that he picked in general? Um, I mean, you said you understood some of the decisions, breaking up some of the partnerships. I think we, you know, Mustafi comes in for holding. Sure. Uh, Coquelin came in for. Uh, for Granite Xhaka, I mean, was that a decision based purely on Xhaka's international commitments, the fact that he's been away and playing for them and, and is still a player perhaps feeling his way back from a summer tournament? Um, or do you think he was looking as well at tomorrow night against PSG? He wants to use uh, Xhaka there uh, and figured, look, a home game, I can use Coquelin and Cazorla because it's it's something that's worked for me in the past. I mean, you have to think that PSG was looming large in his thoughts, although, I mean, there is a kind of alternative reading where Shaka, you know, ha- has a few times now not started with with Coquelin ahead, hasn't he? So maybe Arsene, maybe he's easing him in, maybe he's a bit loath to, to let go of the Coquelin because all a partnership. I was a bit surprised, and I'll say disappointed to see Shaka not playing because I thought, from what I've seen of the Watford game, he was really integral to our performance there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, his understanding with Cazorla looked like a particularly interesting one. I thought if if any player, I know Jacques has been off, you know, doing international duty and getting sent off and what have you, but I wondered if, given Santi's age, I wondered if it might be him who missed out on this game because I didn't know if he'd be able to play 90 minutes Saturday against Southampton and then again against PSG on Tuesday. Mm. Um, so I was a little bit surprised by that partnership and I think... If I was expecting to see a player in there, I think I might have expected to see Mohamed El Neni ahead of Francis Coquelin. Uh, but El Neni, oh, can't can't really get a look in right now because we've got so much depth at central midfield. Hence the the Jack Wilshere decision. But yeah, um, yeah so I I guess I, I felt like this was a team pick with Tuesday in mind, wasn't it? I mean, obviously you've got players been on international duty, Shaka, Giroud, Alexis. But had we not had the PSG game on Tuesday, I suspect they still would have started. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's noisy there. Um. Okay, so yeah, uh, I, I I have to say w- with regard to Jack, I think we missed him in terms of what he brought to the team against Watford, mm. um, and I think it, if it is to do with PSG and if it is to do with international duties, it's just a bit of a shame that we couldn't maintain that little bit of continuity um, in the team selection just to see how it might work again. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what he does tomorrow night, what sort of team he's going to pick tomorrow night, what sort of midfield he's going to pick. Like, can Cazorla do another 90 minutes? 
so soon after playing, uh, you know, as, as uh, uh, the full game against Southampton. Like, yeah. you know, is he going to be the one who makes way a little bit? Uh, will it be a different kind of partnership? Could we see El Nenny and Jacker perhaps uh, away from home against uh, against PSG? So maybe that might be that might be something he's thinking of. And I guess when it's going to be a matter of time or we're going to have to wait and see what he does in certain games and certain circumstances before we can try and and second guess him to a certain extent that maybe he does have plans to use his midfield in different ways uh, throughout the course of the season. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't I hadn't considered the idea that Cazorla might not play. I mean, basically I, I, if I'm picking an Arsenal team, it's generally got Santi Cazorla in it. So um, I hadn't considered that possibility. But Alneni and Xhaka, that's an intriguing idea, isn't it? I mean, especially away from home, you know, against the PSG side with plenty of attacking ability. You do wonder if maybe maybe they'll go for someone with Elneny's energy to provide some cover. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. All right. So, look, we went behind to uh, Tadic free kick. I thought they they uh, were very very lucky to get that free kick. It was a a dive, complete dive. Uh, was it Nathan Redmond? Uh, I think it was Redmond. Yeah. yeah um, Monreal slid in. Yeah, it? Monreal t- took a little bit of a swipe, but uh, Redmond jumped up in the air, and made a meal of it. So they were a bit lucky to get that free kick, and I think the the booking for Monreal was was uh, pretty harsh as well in that regard. Um, Petr Cech unlucky could have done better what's your I mean when it first went in I had that sort of sinking feeling of oh god any shot of Pesacek from outside the box <laughs> it kind of feels like it's a goal sometimes yeah um, but when you look at it I mean he did make a decent enough save and then I guess I guess you're unlucky if it comes off the you know the woodwork and hits you and goes in I mean one way around that bad luck is to obviously tip it over the bar or around the post but yeah um Given that he wasn't able to do that, it's quite unfortunate. And then bounced off his back and rolled over the line. But at that stage, when the goal went in, it felt I felt. I mean, my my excitement about the game evaporated rather swiftly because <laughs> our performance was was not up to scratch really. And when they got that goal, it didn't it didn't obviously seem that there was a way back into the game for us. To be frank, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it did feel a little bit like, oh God, here we go again. And and the the type of goal that we conceded. Um, there, there was an element of bad luck to it, uh, but again, there's you know there's part of you that thinks, oh god, fucking free kicks. You know, we tend to concede quite a lot of those. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't really know that he could have done an awful lot more. He's talk- he was talking about it afterwards, um, and he's saying, look, the wall is there to protect half the goal. Um, people said he might have been a little bit too far over uh, to the left, but. Uh, you know, the wall is there to protect that half of the goal. And then because it's so close to goal, the dude could have just fucking leathered it um, down the side where the keeper was if he'd been standing a, a little bit uh, further to the right. So uh, it was a very, very well taken free kick. And I think the player got a, a, a bit of a bit of luck to it. But um, the response... If you're a player, you're probably furious that, that goes down to an own goal, aren't you? If you're the guy who's taking the free kick, yeah. you, you, you want the credit <laughs> for that, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. But tough shit. Put it in the goal. Uh, you know, keeper got a touch and uh, and and got got unlucky. So it it is definitely an own goal. Um, so no no credit to Tadic whatsoever for that one. Apart from the the quality of the initial free kick, which was nearly nearly brilliant. I yeah. don't think you can call it brilliant if it doesn't go in. So ah, there you go. Sorry, Dusan. Dusan. 
Is that his name? I don't know. It's a bit of a shonky name, isn't it? <laughs> if it's not his name, then that's probably just offensive, my sort of guess at it. No, yeah. that is his name. Thank okay. God. All right. Uh, so, look, uh, you're looking for a response, and I think Theo Walcott had a header that went over uh, from a corner. You go, fuck. I think he got two headers from corners in the course of the game. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he... Um, he he was uh, doing his bit, but you're looking going, okay, well, where's the goal coming from? And then all of a sudden, uh, from another corner, Coquelin jumped in the air. I think it hit him on the back. Lucas Perez kept it alive. And then Lauren Koscielny, oof, overhead kick. I mean, what a brilliant finish. Oh, absolutely amazing. I mean, and, and I suppose the greatest compliment you can pay is that it wasn't entirely surprising because Koscielny loves a goal and has brilliant technical ability. I mean... Even so, to see a centre-back half doing that, it's very, very impressive. Uh, brilliantly taken, and I suppose... I suppose, I mean, Arsene Wenger probably wouldn't care to say it, but it's kind of a captain's contribution, isn't it? I mean, when Arsenal desperately needed something, he pulled something pretty special out of the bag. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I'll lead by example, captain's goal, um, 100%. I mean, brilliant technique. That's his 21st goal for Arsenal, which is, uh, you know, he's into his seventh season now. Um, it's a good few more than... I don't know, I can think of a couple of outfield players who probably would like that, Tally. Um, and, you know, he... It, uh, well, the one thing about the goal, I thought... I don't know if you thought this, but I've thought the same watching Diego Costa uh, for Chelsea at the weekend. I'm confused. I'm delighted that these goals are permitted, but I feel like a season or two ago, these were getting, you know, hauled up left, right and centre by referee in dangerous play or high foot. And when the goal went in, there was a little bit of me sort of with my heart in my mouth thinking, are they going to blow here? But... Maybe there's a bit more leniency on those now. What, what do you reckon to that? Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose there is the whole high foot thing and dangerous play, uh, but I guess the the technique and skill has got to has got to come out on top. Mm. If you know, for the good of for the good of the game, as if I give a fuck about that, you know. But <laughs> for the good of Arsenal, for in the, this weekend, yeah, for the good of us. But you know, I think that's what you would prefer to see. That you know that that player gets the benefit of the doubt, where perhaps um, you know if there is contact or if there is a foul, if if the guy kicks a defender in the head on the way through, then maybe then the referee has to make a decision. But you know, it's up to the defender to put his head in the in the place where it might get kicked. And that's, yeah. um, you know, Cassiani's been on the other end of that as well, obviously. Uh, you know, he's a brave player. Um, I don't think there was anything particularly dangerous uh, or there was no Southampton player putting his head near where Cassiani was kicking the ball. So, uh, you know, tough shit. I didn't see the Costa goal. Was it a, an overhead kick? It was an overhead kick, yeah. It was an overhead kick. Well, I think his... His should, have, should been, have been disallowed. Yeah, it yeah. should have been disallowed. I agree, especially it was, as it was a late equaliser for Chelsea. I think that should factor in too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he probably, probably should have been sent off as well. I think his other goal should have been disallowed. I mean, it wasn't an overhead kick, but I still think it should have been disallowed. I think, I think he should be disallowed. Retrospectively disallowed. Yeah, from life. From, hi- from history. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That exactly. would be good. Um, so look, yeah, brilliant equaliser and second half, I think Arsenal were pretty much on top. Mm. Um, but there was always the looming threat of Shane Long. The looming threat of Shane Long, who was, in fairness to him, absolutely fucking shite. I know. When, when he came on at half time, I don't know if there was an injury to Jay Rodriguez or if Southampton just decided to unleash Shane Long, but there was part of me going, oh God, he, you're absolutely right. He's an incredibly annoying player to play against and, Mm. I'll never quite forget that Boxing Day game where we made Shane Long look very good indeed. And uh, 
I, I feared him. I feared him on the counter-attack, but I needn't have feared him because his finishing was, fortunately, diabolical. Yeah, it really, really was terrible. I mean, he had three really good chances. There was one where he was clean through and he clipped the ball, well, five or six yards wide, at yeah. least. That was one where I was going, oh, God, fuck. A little bit worrying that the defence was opened up like that, I think you have to say. There was another one where there was a tap-in from... Someone else had a shot, Czech made a save. Uh, uh, yeah, and Czech got back and cleared it with his got, foot. Got was back up, yeah. It seemed he was like a big ant <laughs> falling up off the forest, getting up off the forest floor uh, yeah. and just managed to get a, a foot to it. But again, I think, you know, had Shane Long's finishing been any good, uh, that would have been a goal. And then I think I could be right here, he had a header from a corner, a a pretty much a free header, which he headed over. So uh, we gave him three really good chances to score, and to be fair, he would normally take one of those uh, against us. So it was was delightful to see him miss those. It was also delightful to see him get fouled, very, very obviously fouled by Nacho Monreal, down by uh, our left-hand uh, corner flag. Monreal mm. stood on his boot, stood on his heel. Long went down and uh, was waiting for the free kick to be given. It wasn't given. Arsenal played on, which was which was marvellous. We played on and left the fucker on the ground, as we should do every time an opposition player is injured. I, oh! Oh, the fridge has stopped trying to take off. Well... I mean, I don't. I can't explain this magic. Wow, let's go back to the start and just record it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember what I said. Yeah, um, but no, I mean, I think it was great, and I, I'm glad to see that. And I also like the fact we played on even when Koscielny was down, um, was down injured. Well, we benefited from from both, you know. Yeah, so a bit of a. I suppose the referee could have put the kibosh on the Koscielny one because it was uh, a head injury. Maybe he didn't know it was a head injury. Yeah. Um, Koscielny's down, clutching his face, having been kicked right in the eye or just below the eye. It looked uh, very, very painful indeed. Uh, but we, you know, we kept going, got the ball into the box, and then there was a, a tug on, on Giroud's shirt by, by um, what's his name? Font. Jesse Font, was it? Jesse yeah, Font, yeah. I, 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 that's a very good point, actually. In in If the referee had been doing his job, should he not have stopped the game when Koscielny went down? Yeah, yeah, I guess. If I mean, he he must have... He must have not known that it was a a head injury because it it kind of happened in a fairly crowded space. It was only the camera behind the goal that allowed you to see that Koscielny got a a kick in the head. So maybe the the referee and the linesman didn't see that and just thought, well, maybe he's twisted his ankle or whatever it is. Um, and, and obviously allowed play to go on. I think otherwise they would have stopped that and then we wouldn't have got the penalty. So, uh, did you, did you think it was a penalty? I have to say, first first time I saw it live, I was convinced that it was. First couple of replays I saw was too, but there's been so much debate about it. I've been a little bit surprised almost that um, it's been quite as divisive as it was. In the press room afterwards, I can tell you that the, the general opinion that I seem to gather was that it was not a penalty, and Arsene Wenger was kind of challenged on it in his in his press conference. What was your interpretation? Um, yeah. I think my issue is that when I first saw it, I could clearly see font... Um, pulling the shirt of Giroud. Yeah. And I was like, right, pen. But then from another angle that I later saw, Giroud's kind of pushing him with his other hat. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. kind of, there's a little bit of back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a shirt pull. There's no question about that. By the letter of the law, is that a penalty? 
I suppose the referee has decided that, that yes, it is. Um, I think it's a little bit generous, but, you know, I'm not going to complain about it or I'm not going to um, say we didn't deserve it or anything like that because I'm enjoying the fact that we're actually getting penalties this season. It's How many unusual. did we have? I think we'd won last season, something like that. Very yeah. few anyway. Uh, and, and some of them were so obviously penalties um, that weren't given, you're like, what the fuck is going on here? And now we're getting penalties for all kinds of things, uh, and I'm enjoying that part of it. So, um, look, you've got to put yourself in the position. I think that's what that uh, what Giroud can do. He makes life difficult for the central defenders. He does get his shirt pulled a lot, mm. Giroud. Like, he really does. So whether that's the attention that he also pays to defenders by getting close to them or trying to get in front of the ball, maybe that's, um, you know, a little quality that, that he has, the ability to have his shirt being pulled. I, you know, I don't know. But it does happen to him a lot. I don't think he gets anywhere near uh, the amount of penalties um, that he should. Uh, but we've had a few down the years where it's it's because of a defender pulling out of Giroud, and, and that was the case. So looked very welcome to me. Yeah, well, look, perhaps uh, this will instigate a bit of a change because, um, you know, the, the Premier League are trying to crack down on this issue, aren't they? I mean, particularly at set pieces, but they are yeah. shirt pulling. Yeah. If Giroud is a, a regular victim of that, we might reap the dividends. Yeah, the I suppose, penalties. yeah, I suppose the other thing you'd say, though, is that we have to be prepared for that to work the other way. Well, that's it. And I'm sure I'm <laughs> sure it will sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, because it is, it's so ubiquitous. It's it's just what players do in the penalty area. Um so yeah, I think it is as, as good as good as it is to get them uh, from our side. I think we're going to have to be prepared for for uh, the reverse to be true as well at some point. But look, uh, pressure penalty. Southampton players were kicking at the penalty spot. Mm. I don't know if uh, you noticed that. I didn't notice it live, but I've since seen. Uh, was it Virgil Van Dyke who, who was? I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, and it was a long way as well because Koscielny was receiving treatment for some time. So Santi had plenty of time, not only for the penalty spot to be, uh, made all shonky, but uh, <laughs> also to consider his, his decision about where he's going to put that spot kick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, straight down the middle, <laughs> more or it less. Turns out, turns out that's, that's his favorite. I mean, what's going on there? I was watching that thinking, is he, because is he waiting and then waiting for the goalkeeper to move and then putting it just slightly to one side? Is he gambling? What's what's your interpretation of his, his technique there? I think he's gambling a little bit, to be perfectly honest. He's mm. banking on the goalkeeper going one way. I mean, the one what you would say is like if the keeper had gone the other way, would he would he have been in a position to save it with his feet? Yeah, I think if the keeper had gone the other way, he probably he probably would have saved it because it wasn't quite central yeah. uh, or high enough, perhaps, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that, I don't know if it's a good penalty or a bad penalty. I mean, I suppose a good penalty is a penalty that hits the net, yeah, right? It's gone in, so it's, yeah. a, it's a good penalty. But yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, there are ways of taking a penalty that make it pretty much impossible for a goalkeeper to get to it, regardless of whether they go the, the right way or not. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of penalties that, uh, hit the roof of the net, for example. Uh, you think of how Robin Van Persie used to take them with the power, uh, that, that he took them with. Um, keeper could go the right way all day. It would make no difference. Yeah. Um, or if you're going to go into the side netting, if you're going to go right into the corner, it becomes very, very difficult for the goalkeeper to stop them there as well. So, uh, I, you know, if it were me taking a penalty, You've got to have some fucking 
massive balls to go straight down the middle. Like you really do, because if it if it doesn't work, you just look like a cunt. And have, have, I, have you ever seen that? I'm not sure I've ever seen a player go down the middle, a goalkeeper just stand still and just catch it. Can you imagine? That, I mean, I'm sure there have been. I'm sure there have been. Didn't uh, maybe Henri took one and keeper got it? I can't remember. Maybe I'm mixing it up with a game of FIFA. I don't. I don't really <laughs> remember. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, you think of some of the, the tricklers down. I mean, the, the classic one is uh, Lauren uh, versus Spurs, if you remember, a good few years ago. And uh, mm. he, he, like, whatever about Cazorla's one against um, Southampton on Saturday, he hit that with, with some power. <laughs> but Lauren's was just like, oh, I'll trickle this down the middle. Ball that took about that. five seconds to get over the line. Yeah. Casey Keller scrambling back going, no! <laughs> Yeah, goalie could have dived, got up and tried to dive again, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, so look, he, he did say afterwards he'll have to think about whether he's going to put the next one down the middle or not. But, you know, maybe that gives uh, a goalkeeper something to think about now when he's facing a Cazorla uh, penalty. Is he going to do it down the middle? Will I just stand still? Um, uh, and for Cazorla, maybe if he goes left or right, then that makes it an easier job for him. So. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess goalkeepers, it's generally binary, isn't it? Am I going to go left? Am I going to go right? With Cazorla, they've now got this third option to consider of just standing where they were. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, all very, very pleased to see uh, us getting awards penalties. I'm very pleased to see Santi on the score sheet. I think he's already got more goals this season than he did last. Well, there you go. There you uh, go. Um, yeah, so good. So three uh, very welcome points. Not the most convincing performance. Um, but I think, you know, there are mitigating circumstances. I think there are reasons to be a little bit concerned, but also reasons why things could, could easily get better um, as, we, uh, as we prepare to play uh, PSG tomorrow night. Um, so what mm. else caught your eye in the Premier League over the, over the course of the weekend? The Manchester Derby, did you watch that? Oh, I did watch that. It was a very entertaining game. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, interested to see. Obviously, I mean, uh, Pep versus Mourinho, Claudio Bravo. I thought you know had, had an, <laughs> an interesting debut. That was hilarious. I mean, it couldn't really have gone much worse for him. But I suppose that he did get the with the win at the end of the day, so yeah. they got away with it. Um, I think Man City look very good. I have to say, they look like they're going to be extremely difficult to mm. stop this season in terms of the players they have, the depth they have. The manager they have, the, the the confidence that they're playing with, I don't think they're watertight defensively, but um, especially with Bravo playing like that. But they look like they're going to be a real challenge to face. Don't you yeah, think? yeah, I do, and uh, I did enjoy uh, in this new climate of players being booked for dissent, as we saw with Santi Cazorla actually on Saturday. Mm-hmm. He just had a little bit of like ah, oh, a gesture at a decision that I think the decision went against uh, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, and Santi reacted and, and picked up a booking. Um, you know, based on that, I did enjoy Wayne Rooney telling the referee to fuck off. Yeah. Um, that's sounds- right, one second. One second. That's the dogs. I'll just put them to... There you go. That's it. They're out. There they go. Dave the dog. Dave the dog and Doreen, his sister. Oh. Yeah, there they are. But oh. they've they've been silenced. Not in it. They're not euthanised. They're fine. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a bit too ruthless for my liking, I have yeah. to say. But going back to, yeah, Rooney basically uh, fouling with impunity, uh, telling the referee to fuck off at one stage, and, and not picking up that booking. Uh, that he should have got for for that kind of descent. So it's going to be. I think that's going to be another one 
where the interpretation of it is going to be fairly fast and loose, uh, mm. the differences between how referees uh, perceive those, uh, those incidents um, is going to be, uh, I think, a Premier League talking point. Yeah, I actually uh, saw a little compilation put together, what well, won't surprise you, by a Manchester City fan of, of the various <laughs> things that Rooney um, got away with in that derby. Quite extraordinary, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just kicking out at people. Um, he had a little altercation with Guardiola at one point. Yeah. Um, just just got free reign, hasn't he? Yeah, he does. Just a big fat cunt going around doing what he likes and nobody ever stops him. It's about time someone just fucking put him in his place. Like, nobody will. What's going on? Why is Wayne, why is Wayne Rooney so special? What, when you look at what Sam Allardyce said. Well, who am I to tell Wayne Rooney where to play? Well, you, you're the fucking England manager. That's who you are. He's not, what's he going to do to you? Does Rooney have, like, some kind of mob-based control over everybody in the world of football that he's somehow not accountable for anything that he does? It feels what like it. What is it? <laughs> I don't know. It feels like it at times. Uh, there's no... Well, I mean, they do say down the years that England captains specifically have benefited, don't, don't they, from refereeing? I mean, always yeah. remember Alan Shearer just stamping on someone's head and pretty much getting away with it. Um, and it, flying elbows that he used to execute without too much, too many repercussions. So maybe that has an influence, but I don't know. It's, it, was, it was strange on Saturday, certainly, to yeah. see him running amok quite so freely yes um, I'm just trying to think anything else from the Premier League I mean uh, Leicester Leicester don't quite look the force of last season do they no no great surprise there I suppose no I wonder are there a few regrets among that Leicester squad perchance we'll see how they get on in the in the Champions League um, and yeah no I mean I think the, the table looks sort of curiously familiar I mean if you look at the top six now just four games into the season, it is Manchester City, Chelsea, Manchester United, Tottenham, Liverpool and Arsenal. Well, there you go. There you go. That's it's happened begin- rather quickly, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It's beginning to take a, a little bit of shape, of course. Um, so, yeah, l- l- the, the gap between us and City, but it is, it is still very early days, of course. Uh, only four games. So, uh, yeah, I won't get too, too freaked out about it just yet. But, you know, at least we're moving in the right direction. Uh, is what you would say. So two yeah. wins, two wins on the trot, and uh, we'll see what see what tomorrow night brings. We might discuss tomorrow night uh, a little bit in part two when we take your questions right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. But the show this week is very kindly sponsored by Cornerstone. Now, if you are looking for a shave that is not shonky, in any way, I can guarantee you Cornerstone make fantastic German precision-engineered razor blades that do not leave your face all shonked in little bits or wherever it is you might want to shave. Shave your chest. Did you ever shave your chest, Jim? I never have done, actually. Right. Uh, have, have you? Uh, no. No. I think, uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm scared of the chest stubble. But, that it might be all itchy and scratchy. And But I, I imagine it wouldn't be if I used a Cornerstone razor. Yeah. Am I right? Absolutely, because you could apply some uh, some soothing balm afterwards, because Cornerstone do all those kind of things as well, you see? Mm. So they uh, deliver your razor blades, you get a brilliant razor, you get all the potions and lotions and everything else that you need, and you can get £10 off by signing up at cornerstone.co.uk forward slash arseblog. That's uh, cornerstone.co.uk forward slash arseblog, and your discounts and everything else will be automatically applied, and it does... It does help the podcast, so thank you very much indeed. Now, before we get on with the um, with the questions, did you happen to see or hear uh, the interview with uh, Francis Coquelin on on Talksport? Oh, I don't think I have. Okay, here's just a little. <laughs> this is the best bit from it. Okay. Uh, he's talking to uh, Max Rushton and Barry Glendening. And uh, here's Barry Glendening asking him uh, a fairly simple question. Check out the answer. Okay, here we go. Emmanuel, what's your favourite insect? Antelope. Is that an insect? I don't know. Devastatingly, I can't hear that. You'll have to relay it to me. Oh, no. Uh, Basically, he says to him, what's your favourite insect? And there's a pause for a moment, and he goes... Antelope. <laughs> Is that even an insect? Oh, That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Antelope. What do we think? What do we think he meant? I, I don't know. An antelope. An ant. <laughs> Maybe an ant. <laughs> it's such an odd complication. It's like when people's nicknames are longer than their first names. Yeah. <laughs> to get from ant ant to antelope. How's he made that leap? I remember um, my uh, daughter once asking. Uh, uh, question when she was young, which was, do ants have antlers? <laughs> Seems reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Seems reasonable. I, I told her they do, of course. Yeah, she's terrified of them. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Huge ants. When you see some antlers on a wall, <laughs> like in a, like a hunter's treasure, I'd be like, oh, yeah, they're, they're oh, a yeah, massive yeah. ant. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, look, that's uh, just that little uh, distraction. Thank you to uh, Francis Leach. Uh, for uh, pointing us in the direction of that wow. one. And Francis Coquelin for uh, being quite so silly. Francis Coquelin? Oh, is that what you, is that not who answered the question? No, it was Emmanuel Frimpong. Did I say Francis Coquelin? I think you said Coquelin. All right, okay. Well, I've got this all completely wrong. 
I, restaurants is cockland, but that makes even more sense now that it's Emmanuel Frimpong. It I is Emmanuel Frimpong. Highly credible. Uh, yeah, my apologies to uh, to Francis Cockland. I've completely anteloped that uh, <laughs> that whole segment there. Don't worry about it. Um, should we have a question? Yeah, let's. So we'll, I'll start. This is from Neil Siglechner, who's at nsig underscore eleven, and he says PSG poor start in Liga, injury crisis at the back. How confident are you of a win on Tuesday? And to put that in perspective, Matt Spiro says PSG must decide whether to risk bringing Thiago Silva back against Arsenal or play Thiago Motta at centre back, and young centre half Kim Pende may have to play as an auxiliary left back. You know what? We've been in this situation loads and loads of times before where you look at the... Having a defensive injury crisis. Well, (laughs) we have, but also I think opposition as well, where we've looked at uh, opposition back fours and said, wow, fuck, you know, we should be able to do something with that. The one that springs to mind last year, last season was the game against Manchester United, and I think they played, was it Daly Blind and Michael Carrick? Um, were, were the central defenders at Old Trafford. They had a right back. Was it Darmian? I can't remember which yeah. fucker it was, but he got a yellow card after about six minutes. And then on the left-hand side, they were playing somebody, and then they had to bring on that other guy who was really young and inexperienced as well. And you're thinking, well, look at look at what we've got. Look at the at- attacking talent we've got. So I, I tend not to put too much stock into personnel issues with the opposition, to be perfectly honest. Um, Tiago Mata is a very experienced player. I'm sure he can do a job at centre-half. I mean, it's not ideal for PSG. Uh, it might, on, on some level, make things a little more um, easy for us. On the other, the team might then be set up more to protect the back four because it is a little bit weak. Um, so I'm, I'm not really filled with any great confidence at the moment, uh, generally speaking, because when we look at the Southampton game, when we look at some of the other performances over the last number of months going back into last season, you know, some of the issues that we had back then in terms of the football that we're playing uh, mm. remain. So I, I've, I'd rather be a bit more convinced about our own football than the frailty of, of the opposition, if that makes any sense. Like, I don't feel especially confident. I think we could easily go there and get a good result because we've got lots of talent, but it will require us to play better than we did against Southampton, I think. So it's whether or not we can do that, and it all depends again on what sort of team he's going he's gonna to pick. Yeah, so. I, I, I would say uh, I'm not massively confident. I mean, PSG haven't been brilliant in Liga. I think they drew with Saint-Étienne on Friday night. Uh, they've got a new manager who's... You know, not quite found found out what he wants to do with the side, but um, he's been brought in specifically for Europe. Basically, I mean, Unai Emery had amazing success with Sevilla, and they've they've brought him in to try and crack the Champions League. So this is be the real water test for him. I think this is a massive test for Arsenal too, playing the way we have. I mean, we, we can get excited about two consecutive wins, and we should, and we should celebrate that. But we've not yet played to anything like the level we would. We would want to see, do you know what yeah, I mean? I don't yeah. think the performances have quite clicked into gear, um, and that's putting it lightly. So to be facing a, a side of PSG's capability with a very good record against English teams, uh, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be very, very tricky. Who, whoever they play at the moment. Yeah, back. yeah. All right. Well, look. While we're on the subject of PSG, Tanmay Jagdale uh, at Tanmay Jagdale wants to know what's your what's your lineup for PSG. What what team would you pick? Um, yeah. 
Well, I, I would go the same back four or five. So Czech, uh, Bellerin, Koscielny, Mustafi and Monreal. Okay, let me stop you there, though, very quickly. Go on. Because Koscielny, as we know, has got a kick in the eye. His eye mm. is swollen shut, uh, according to the manager. Um, as brave and all as he is, uh, you know, you can't send him out there like a cyclops, only being able to see from, from one eye. Um, so if Koscielny is not fit, who do you, who do you bring in? Gabriella's back in training? Yeah. Is he close enough? I mean, if he was, I think that would be the obvious one. Uh, um, do you know what? For, for as well as Rob Holding has done in those first three Premier League matches, I think I would be hesitant to throw him in. I mean, Kieran Gibbs is said to be back potentially. You've always got the option of, Playing Monreal as a centre half mm. uh, and bringing Gibbs inside. If if Gabriel, if Gabriel could be available, I think I'd I think I'd hurry him along uh, and stick him in alongside Mustafi. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, I think you probably do, given the stage that it is. Have to err on the side of experience, which Gabriel has. Mm. Uh, if he's physically ready, I think I would still prefer to see Rob Holding rather than Nacho Monreal. If that's what the choice was, if it came down to that, I think I'd prefer holding to 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 Monreal just because of the positional um, structure it brings. You know, a natural centre half, and we're also keeping our our best left back in his best position. I thought Monreal was very good uh, against Southampton, particularly in the second half. He, he uh, did a lot of good defensive work, so I'd like to see him there. So yeah, it, it depends on Gabriel. If Gabriel is fit. I think he would probably get the nod. If not, then it's going to be holding on Mustafi. I mean, you can be sure they'll be doing absolutely everything they can to try and get Koscielny, uh available and on that field, I imagine. Oh, they'll be doing like they do in uh, in Rocky, in one of the Rocky films. Remember, he's getting yeah. bashed and he's and he's uh, the trainer's there and he's going, cut it open, cut it open. <laughs> so oh, Koscielny's God. on the training ground now going, cut it open, <laughs> bleed it out. <laughs> I think so. Uh, and then in midfield... Hmm. Well, we discussed this a bit earlier. It's very yeah. tricky. I think I would go for sure. Ooh. I nearly said it and then I wasn't sure. I think I would want to go Shaka and Kazola. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of me thinking maybe the physicality of an El Nene or a Cochlear might be helpful given that we're away from home. But, you know, it's a Champions League game. I think we've got to let go there and look to retain the ball when we have it. And those two are the best, the best we have at that. Um, would you be the same or would you be Yeah, I mean, just uh, just in terms of Cazorla doing another 90 minutes, uh, I do wonder if he might look at, at Xhaka and El Nani. Yeah. Uh, I think, he, you know, there's something about El Nani in the away European games that fits, you know, the, uh, the, the fact that he's all, always available, keeps things ticking a little bit um, in, in the center of midfield there. So that wouldn't surprise me if he did that rather than Cazorla gave Cazorla a bit of a rest ahead of uh, what's coming this weekend. So, Yeah, that's a fair point. But I think, but I think Xhaka has to, has to come in, yeah. So ahead of them, I think, obviously Meza Ozil will play. Um, and then the, I think that Alex Awobi might well play. Yeah. Uh, he came on against Southampton. He's been injured, but he was a big part of Arsenal's plans at the back end of last season. And I think, as a rule, we look a better side with Awobi in it. Right, so where uh, making the assumption that Alexis is going to play, yeah, and, I, and also making tricky. the assumption that I, I think Giroud is going to play. I think he's going to play him, you know, on home soil. 
I think mm. there'll be something in Arsene Wenger's mind about that, particularly if Giroud is still a bit, you know, uh, unhappy about the treatment he's got from some French fans. I think he'll 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 back him to make a point uh, up front. So if we're taking Iwobi and Alexis as our wide players, does Iwobi play left and Alexis from the right? Uh, I think probably that way. That was how they lined up towards the end of last season, although Iwobi against Southampton did come on on the right. I think he came on for Walcott and just played out on that flank. They're both versatile enough to to mix it up and potentially change during a game, but I think those would be the two that I'd go for, and that's partly informed by the fact that I didn't think either Theo Walcott or Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain had a great game against Southampton at the weekend. So, uh, And they bring a freshness, a freshness to the side, so I think that would be my... I think that would be my lineup. Mm, yeah, I wouldn't disagree too much with that, to be honest. Do you I think, think there's any chance, um, sorry to interrupt, but do you think there's any chance that he will not play Giroud and go back to Alexis up top? Do you think that's something that he might persist with? No. No, I don't, I don't think so, to be honest. I think he's got Perez as a striker now, he's got a Giroud as a striker now. Yeah. And I, I think the, all the talk about Alexis as a striker was really only psychological talk mm. because he had to play him there. He didn't really have anybody else for the start of the season. And I think that was why he was talking about his, his qualities there. I think if we've got nobody else, then he, he would use him there. But I think what he's going to do is look at, at Giroud and Perez as uh, his two, two strikers. And I think we'll see Alexis primarily from, from the wide positions this season. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting because this will be the first game in which he started in one of those wide positions. So, interesting to see what side uh, Wenger opts for, really, and, yeah. and how he looks to use it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that could that could be the uh, that could be the starting uh, eleven there, and one you would probably fancy um, to it's to do the job. Team, yeah, definitely. All right, uh, Aaron Ramsey. I guess only the sort of the major absentee. Let's have a chat. I mentioned him there. I feel like we mentioned him every week, but Mike L, who's because I'm Mike uh, Mike Larriera on Twitter, says Larriera. Do we need to talk about Ox again with a Wobi back and Perez an option? Was the Southampton game his last chance? I don't think it was his last chance, but I think what we've seen at the start of this season is, you know, with Alexis being used centrally, there's been more space on the the on the flanks. Um, I think he, he's had chances to really give the manager something to think about mm. in the opening four games of the season. Um, he was poor, really, against Southampton. Um, you could see by his face when he came off. He that knew it. Yeah, it he absolutely knew it. He knows he's a guy who is who's really struggling to make an impact. Uh, I think he got like a little pat on the side of the face from Santi Cazorla as he was going off because, you know, they must know as well that this is a guy who's who's feeling it. You know, I don't doubt his, his uh, commitment or his desire to do well, but, you know... The way he's playing, it's just not, it's just not working at the moment. Um, and, and he can see that. And I think there are issues with confidence, um, in his game, his face when he was coming off. I mean, he looked visibly upset. Um, mm. because he's not playing well, 
uh, and he's got that self-awareness, and we, I think we've spoken about it before in comments that Arsene Wenger made, that he's, he tends to get a little bit too hypercritical, or too hypercritical, too self-critical, uh, and that that affects his game. And I think you could see that um, uh, against Southampton. Um, and I think what's happened is that the opportunity he had in the opening games of the season to, I won't say establish himself, but to play so well that he's he's given Arsene Wenger a difficult decision to make, but that hasn't happened. Arsene mm. Wenger doesn't have a difficult decision to make to leave Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain out of the starting eleven. That's the reality of the situation that he's in. And you you look at a new season, you look at it as a new slate, a chance to kind of start afresh and to really to really uh, have a good go again, clean slate, all that kind of stuff, and it's the same as it was last season. And that's that's I think that's a real worry. It is a worry. And, and to, the, to the question's point, do you think he's going to maybe find it a little bit harder to get first-team opportunities now that we have a few more options available? Yeah, I think he is. He is. Um, he's going to find it difficult to get in on the left-hand side if Alexis and Iwobi are there. Um, Theo Walcott, again, I mean, I didn't think he was that great against Southampton, but what's noticeable, I suppose, is that there is at least something different about the way Walcott is playing mm. this season, that there is more commitment. There's a bit more willingness to get stuck in. There's more willingness to make tackles. Um, there's more willingness to be involved um, you know, it's not necessarily producing end product at this moment in time, but you can see that there is something different about what he's doing, whereas there isn't with, with Oxlade Chamberlain. So, yeah, I mean, look, he's going to play probably in the, uh, the Capital One Cup or the EFL Cup, I guess. That's another chance for him to, uh, you know, to play and to play well. But, you know, this is against a, a championship side without wanting to play down Nottingham Forest. He's had Premier League chances and he's not taking them. And I think, you know, ultimately the decision, the only decision the manager can make is to, uh, is to pick someone else uh, who might play better than he is. And uh, w- what it means, I mean, it's still early in the season, obviously, and there's a way to go. But it's, it's very difficult not to be worried about his future and the way that he's progressing or failing to progress, despite the fact that he is being given chances. And I saw people over the weekend say, well, look, you know, what, what – uh, what has Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain done that Joel Campbell hasn't? Joel Campbell did more and has done more over the last 12 months uh, than Alex, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has, but only one of those guys is, is out on loan somewhere else. Yeah, so I, I think it's difficult to argue with that, really. I mean, yeah. I think in terms of their performances for Arsenal, I think Campbell has been superior to Chamberlain. I, as we've said many times, it just seems that Arsenal has more faith in Chamberlain's potential, but there's only so long you can talk about potential before... It becomes just an ethereal idea from yeah. something that's actually going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there you go. There you go. Okay, well, here's a question from Mark Blondal, mm-hmm. uh, at Mark Blondal, and he wants to know, why are we playing so effing slow this season? Not once have we maintained a decent pace. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think it must be partly because just that sort of lack of cohesion that that's sort of a consequence of i mean is it is it the case that arsenal's teams do of the, over the last few years they have tended to start relatively slowly mm. and i mean that in every respect um because they they take some time to find their rhythm uh and we look at the moment like a team that doesn't necessarily know 
what our best 11 is, isn't able to field that best 11 on too many occasions or hasn't mm. been able to thus far. So it just feels, it all feels quite tentative. It doesn't really feel like we've kicked into gear yet. Um, but, but I mean, I, I say that it's not as if we were firing on all cylinders last season, blowing people away with the slickest passing football you've ever seen. Yeah. So maybe there's a bigger sort of systemic problem in place. Uh, what do you think? It's a difficult one. I mean, some some of it is down to the way the opposition play as well. That mm. you can't really play at huge pace if you're trying to break down a packed defence. If they're sitting deep and you're trying to, uh, you know, pick a way through, then it becomes pace is not really the thing that you need um, or that you can use. So I think that has a, a an element to it as well. I thought perhaps there were in a couple of the um, couple of the goals that we scored this season, a couple of the performances, signs that we are willing to move the ball more quickly um, from deeper positions to to help us um, use our pace. You think of uh, uh, Walcott against uh, Watford, for example. Again, we're tying back into the passing of Granite Xhaka. Um, but yeah, look, you, you can't play a hundred miles an hour for 90 minutes. I just think that sometimes when the opportunities present themselves, we're very slow to transition or too slow to transition from defense into, into attack. Um, and again, it might be something that comes with time when the manager gets his midfield 100% sorted out. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to see us just a little bit quicker moving the ball from the back and maybe trying to, trying to find players in wide positions. Uh, but again, it depends on us uh, being in those in those positions, uh, you know, to stretch the to stretch the defenses. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there is there is that whole thing of you know the first half tends to be a bit pedestrian at times, doesn't it? Yeah. And then as the momentum of the game changes, you know, we up it, we up it, uh, you know, trying to find a goal and and everything else. So yeah, um, I guess it's difficult it, not to miss those uh, the way we used to come out the traps, you know, a decade or so ago. Yeah. And blow teams away in the first twenty minutes. I mean that that's an alternative approach, but not one we're necessarily capable of on too many occasions. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I do wonder is that is that something a lot of teams do that we just don't, or is it a consequence of the way that teams play these days that is becoming more and more difficult? I think uh, that's, that's plausible. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but yeah, it would be great. Like early goals are fantastic. A couple of early goals are really very welcome uh, because they obviously set the tone of the game. And it means then that when you do uh, go up, they've got to come out. It leaves space in behind and then you can uh, use your pace and use all that that space on the pitch to uh, to cause them more damage. But yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a, such a multi layered question. Um, I'm sure Arsene Wenger would love for his teams to do exactly that. Um, but it's, it's uh, yeah, whether it's down to our personnel, down to the way the opposition play, or a combination of all of them, not 100% sure. And, I, you know, I think when, when we talk about our football lacking cohesion and fluency, I think that's a factor as well. Yeah. Is that we're, we're still a little bit rudderless in terms of our attacking identity at the moment. So I'm curious to see if that corrects itself over the course of the, the next couple of months. That would be good. Mm. That would be lovely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Steve Moore, who's at Steve Moore 4116, asks of you, two bouts of illness, mm -hmm. two Arsenal wins. <laughs> Andrew, are you the new James? And are you happy to pay that price? Am I the new James? 
Finally, I've discovered what my purpose is in life. <laughs> After nearly 45 years, my, yeah. my, my identity is the new you. Congratulations. Um, yeah, it's, I'm uh, delighted to not be the old me anymore. <laughs> uh, would I sacrifice that for Arsenal wins? No. I'm sorry. I prefer to be well. Um, but also, I don't think it's got anything to do with, with me. You know. So selfish. I know, selfish I know, attitude. it really is. But hey, I just, uh, I would just prefer to be feeling okay. Um, so would I, Andrew, but I've been doing this for years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> Sometimes we have to take a sacrifice. Uh, the greater good. Well, look, you know, maybe if that guy who, who made us count all the seals uh, came along and offered me that deal, I'd think about it. But until such oh, time... Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I'm going to, I'm going to try and stay well and hope that somehow my, uh, my health, my well-being is separate from 11 men in red and white playing football. Uh, it's a radical idea. Yeah. I'm just, you know, it's crazy, but maybe it's true. Maybe what they do has far more impact on the results than how ill I am. Hmm. Mm. Something to consider. I'm dubious about this whole thing, but we'll see. All right. Nick Aylward wants to know, was Xhaka benched as punishment for his Swiss red card to try and curb his disciplinary problems? I don't think so. The thought did cross my mind, but I don't really necessarily see how a red card on international duty would... If anything, I think I'd be pleased he played less minutes, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and also... If you've got Granit Xhaka, you know he's going to get sent off a certain number of times in the season. I'd probably rather that one was with his <laughs> with his country than with his club. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that would have been a factor, no. But I obviously I do think uh, it's a bit like how you said earlier. We have to know that those penalty decisions for shirt pulling are going to go against us at some point. At some point, Granit Xhaka is going to be sent off in an Arsenal shirt. <laughs> it's sort of a question of when. Um, but I, I don't think that would have influenced his decision, do you? No, I don't think so. I think it was probably more to do with how much he played over there and the fact that he played at the European Championships. Yeah, uh, I don't think that you know that he would put too much stock into into the red card at all. No, no, surely not. Surely not. I think if you look at it, he's actually been pretty careful managing the players who have come back from the European Championships. I mean, Jack has not started too many games. Giroud hasn't started a game yet. Yeah. Um, I suppose the exception is. Kind of Urzel, but then we're Koscielny. so Koscielny was was uh, brought back in obviously as soon as possible, but he didn't even he didn't start that first game against Liverpool. We went with Holding and Chambers instead, which mm. was showed a degree of conservatism. Urzel, um, kind of the exception, I feel in terms of the minutes he's played, but he's so important as is Koscielny. So yeah. but where possible, Arsenal's been quite sparing with them. Yeah, uh, and that's hopefully. We'll, we'll kind of uh, see the benefit of that later in the season. All right, uh, your question. It is my question. I should have had it lined up. I was so engrossed in thinking about Shaka's sending off. Yes. Um, okay, this is from Arsenal's Voice. And they ask, if one of our players had the ability to become invisible while he played for us, who would you pick and why? And no Theo Wilcott jokes. Ah, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, to become invisible. Um, I guess probably... You'd have to say a forward of some yeah. description would be the best one because the defender would have no no idea where he was and he could just nip in, take the ball and, and score. So who would I like to see invisible? I mean, Alexis 
is an mm. obvious candidate. Perez, I guess, an obvious candidate. But you see, would he be fully invisible or would he be like the invisible man where you would just see his, you know, his socks and his shirt running around um, with no head, you know, that way? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question. Because otherwise, he would have to be, he'd have to be nude. I think he'd be invisible, but naked. Right, so he'd have to take to the pitch in his kit and then somehow, surreptitiously... Disrobe. Would he, would he, could he be invisible before he's taken his gear off or can he only go invisible after he's taken his, taken all his, uh, his kit off? I think he could go invisible before, but you would see the kit. He'd then have to discard the kit. Right. Somehow. It would probably be against FIFA rules, to be honest. I think it would, you know. I think it would. I'm not sure of the, you know, the real benefits of this. All right, we won't do it then. We won't do it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling to think that this is, is in any way beneficial to us. Because, like, what would happen if he's in the middle of trying to take all his clothes off and go invisible and then, then I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think don't. it's risky. I was going to say it might be fun if your goalkeeper was invisible because the opposition would think they had an open goal. You know, and, and oh, take yeah. a shot at it, and then it would sort of get diverted away, and it'd be no. But it would be it would down. be terrifying from a fan's point. It would be absolutely terrifying. Can you imagine how stressful? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! Open goal. Is he going to save it? I don't know. I don't even know where the fucking goalkeeper is. <laughs> you know, like Claudio Brava. Yeah. Where's Where's he gone? <laughs> All right. Uh, a couple of quick ones to finish off on. This Go one on from then. Lewis Freeman at Lou Duck. Lou, I think it's Lou Do. I don't know. Is it C or? Is it- yeah, Lou Du, 92, I guess, yeah, for the rhyming thing. Uh, but he wants to know, do the yellow cards for clear cheating by tampering with the penalty spot seem lenient? Hmm, uh, I think they're probably about right. I mean, most fouls are a clear cheat. I suppose it's kind of a professional foul, isn't it? There's a horrid cynicism to it. But uh, I think... I don't necessarily think you can start sending people off than that. I'd, I'd say yellow card's fair enough. What do you think? It is, yeah. But maybe they could do something where, you know, if you're caught doing that, you can move the penalty closer. Would that be easier or more difficult for the uh, for I don't the know forward? if that's just narrowing the angle. Do you know what I mean? Like fill it, making the goalkeeper. Maybe that's easier, yeah. So you maybe. get another two yards or something. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I'd, that'd be intriguing. I mean, we're always, but you and me are always trying to come up with alternatives for penalties, aren't we? We've got something <laughs> against them. Um, all right. Well, final one then from on. Peter Brown at Paderbrun1. And he wants to know as you were discussing implement Mustafi last week, what is your favorite kitchen implement? Wow. I like whisks. Yeah? I like handheld mechanical whisks. You know, like the, oh, ones the that one you... with, the, with the handle that goes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I don't know why. I always feel like it would be a good torture weapon, and uh, that's <laughs> that's my basic requirement for a. Don't ask me what I'm going to do with it, but let me tell you, it won't be won't be pleasant. The only thing you could, I could think that it might be in any way uh, painful is if you had a very very hairy person and you that's whisked it. their their you know their hair. Yeah, that like a sort of epilation technique. Yeah. yeah. 
that would be very painful. So, yeah, I like whisks, but I prefer the kind of the, the handheld one, just the kind of whiskey whisk that you okay, like that one. But, uh, you know, not an electric one or no, 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 fancy modern nonsense. Yeah, exactly. I have to say, I'm a, you know, a big fan of the spatula. Sure. Aren't we all? Yeah. I mean, life would be, would be quite difficult without the spatula, but my favorite thing in the, in the kitchen is a mortar and pestle. Ooh, I've got a satisfying. big, heavy cast iron one that you can just grind up spices and stuff like that when you're making food. I like that. I like the sound of it. I like I like crunching stuff with a big, heavy thing. I like yeah. that. and it releases smells and that. It's a, it's a pleasant experience all around. Yeah, yeah. So there you um, go. Yeah, good to know. I mean, you know, so Christmas is only a few months away now. I've seen my first Christmas ad, guys, so... Oh, no, really? The pestle and mortars will be arriving at <laughs> year on December 25th. Yeah, I have seen a Christmas ad. I can't remember what it was for. Um, but uh, I think that's a record. September the 12th we are now. Mother Crazy. fucking, fucking cunts. I know. Yeah. Tell me about it. Um, okay, well, look, we'll, uh, we'll think about Christmas closer to the time, I reckon. Yeah, we'll shelve that one. For yeah, you. just for now. All right, well, look, uh, let's keep fingers crossed we get the right result against PSG mm-hmm. tomorrow night. Uh, we'll discuss that on Friday's Arscast. Who are we playing at the weekend? Hull away, I Hull believe. away. Oh, wow, that's difficult. Because, they're, you know, they're riding high. Well, they're level on points with us, no less. Yeah, so um, they've started their, their season pretty well, but obviously uh, a game that you would fancy is to win, so we'll discuss that game. We'll look ahead to that game on Friday's Arscast, and we'll be here next Monday with another Arscast Extra. So until then, thanks a million. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.